Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new Art of Money podcast. Today, I have the honor of getting to interview Annie Schusler. And I've known her for, I don't know how many years, maybe she can, she can reveal that, but she's interviewed me a few times. She's been a part of the Art of Money community. And I'm just so excited to bring her to all of you and her amazing work. And here's just a teeny little bio about her and then she'll fill us in on all the rest. So Annie Schusler is a therapist. She has been running a successful private practice for 20 years and mentoring other therapists and their businesses for the last 10 years. When she started out in private practice, she struggled. She struggled with her mindset around money, struggled with not knowing how to build a private practice, and felt anxious about her business. At times, she believed the discouraging things she had heard from others about starting a private practice. She got to the other side of that and created a business way beyond what she used to imagine. And we're gonna talk about that today. She got to the other side of that. Oh, I just said that. She also hosts a podcast called Rebel Therapist and I love that name so much. She also teaches therapists to create their own programs online and so much more. Lastly, but maybe most importantly, she lives in San Francisco Bay Area with her wife and two children. Annie, welcome to you. Thank you so much, Barry. I'm so excited to dive in. Me too. Yeah. And I love how you said this is probably the most important part about mm-hmm. my wife and kids. And then I'll add that I live in a duplex. So I'm upstairs with my little family, but our larger family is also with us, my sister and her family live downstairs. So we get to be kind of a compound. Amazing. Amazing. We need to be, we need to be living like that these days. We really do. I'm sure that helped during COVID. So much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you kind of already went into my next question was to share a little snapshot of life and family and work right now, but please share more about any of that. Yeah. So it did really help during this whole last 
year and a half, however long this has been going on, it really did help to have my sister and my nibblings and my brother-in-law right there as well. And there were times when we were not bubbled together where we kept things separate because of, you know, nervousness. And I really felt the difference in such a huge way. So yeah, I'm so grateful for that. And right now life is, you know, I think it's, it's weird for those of us who always worked from home, the way that things changed was kind of different. I wasn't suddenly working from home. I had been working remotely all along and everybody else was suddenly here. So now we're finally opening up and my kids are, are finally getting to be with friends and get back out into the world. And my spouse is getting to go back to their shop and, and do their thing, which is making neon signs. So I'm feeling the return to maybe having a minute or two at home alone, right. which is really nice. Right. So I just jumped into that. Sounds great. You're all living together during COVID and you're thinking, yes. And, <laughs> you know, I was the only one who was home all the time, you yeah. know, and then suddenly everyone, <laughs> we were all in this space together all 24 seven. Yes. 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 Okay. Tell us a little bit more to about your work and you have quite a journey of you know, being a therapist and, you know, not getting any training and, you know, how to have a healthy, savvy relationship to money, let alone start a private practice and all the business and marketing. We share that, but I, I really want everyone to hear more of your story and journey around that and the work you're doing today that you yeah. know. Yeah. I know that's going to be a long, I, I, so tell us all of it. <laughs> okay. So I actually just closed my private practice a year ago. So I had already planned that to happen in the spring of 2020, but what a weird time for it to happen. And yeah, I had a private practice for 20 years. And as I was starting out my private practice, I did run into a lot of problems around money, problems of feeling like there were, you know, scarcity problems, there were problems around organization and really about feeling like I could run my therapy practice as a business. <laughs> and that was something that it took me a few years to really think of my therapy practice as a business and unapologetically so to think of it as, you know, the business that was going to really pay my family's bills. And I've been the breadwinner for quite a while. So I needed for it to be a business. And that was really a transformation. And I come from, you know, lesbian feminist community where we have a lot of feelings, rightly so, around capitalism and around making money and wanting to share money. And I really needed to figure out for myself, along with people who I trust, like you <laughs> being one of those people, I really needed to figure out, well, how is money going to work for me and in my business in a way that feels really abundant and also ethical? 
So that was a lot to weed through in the beginning. I want to ask you about that and then we'll continue. Mm -hmm. Um, You were getting challenge perspectives, rightly so, Mm -hmm. about the difference between starting a practice or starting a business or what that felt like or what you imagined that to be. And you were getting that from both the therapy world, like no one in, I mean, at the beginning, we're not taught that your practice is a business and that you really need to look at it that way. And that there's a lot of things you need to learn that will Mm -hmm. really serve you. So I want to hear a little bit about that, but you were also getting that from the lesbian community, you know, around views of capitalism and earning money in an ethical way mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. that was so important to you so you know most of us leave our masters in psychology with you know just we're going to make we're going to do our good work in the world somehow we're going to be compensated and don't you dare talk about sales or marketing or think of it as a business yeah so say a little bit more about that for you yeah I definitely was spending time with folks who would just set the expectation of, you know, it's okay. You're not going to make very much money and you're going to work probably too much and make too little. And we can kind of, it was a culture of like, we can kind of complain about that together, but we also really shouldn't solve that. Like that's just something that we're all signing up for together. And I would kind of hear when someone was putting some energy into marketing or into like, let's say raising their fees, I would hear how others talked about them. And I think that I, and I think we all have this really strong desire to belong and to feel like we are living the values of our community and questioning those things was kind of scary. And it took me a while Mm. to think, all right, well, hold on. I don't know that this is the path, like charging a really small fee and having a sliding scale where like almost no one's at the top of that fee. I don't know if this is going to be sustainable for me. I don't know if this is really going to be the way that I can support my family and, and take care of myself and take care of my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it took me some time. And then I did start looking into marketing. And I did start looking at business and I found that I really loved that exploration and I found it fascinating. And I started looking into, you know, ethical and intelligent and aligned ways of marketing. And as I dipped my toe in, I just wanted to get into it more and more and more. And so that's where I think this seed got planted of, okay, when I get pushback on that stuff, it doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. Right. Because I've struggled with these things too. We could continue talking about these things and I could actually be helping others look at these things too, instead of just saying like, oh, okay, you're right. I want everyone to like me. So I'll stop talking about this. And what I'm aware of is the business model of a practice Mm -hmm. and I see it having limitations um, to getting folks to sustainability. Now Mm -hmm. there certainly are folks who have full-time full practices and you know 
have set their fees, they may still have a sliding scale or they may offer their time or support or services in other ways, you know, to be able to give to different income levels. But can you talk about just the model, the, the, the business model, the pricing model of a therapist? Can it be sustainable? I think it can. And I see people charging a good fee and having a simple private practice where they're really just, you know, working with folks one-on-one, one-on-two, and they've got solid cancellation policies. They've got a, a really good fee and they found a way to, to make that work and make over six figures and, and have that all line up. And that didn't end up being the right path for me. Mm-hmm. And I see it not being the right path for a lot of folks. And so I now am actually helping people who have training as therapists and healers to create something different, to create something that is really outside of their therapy license by using all of that experience and all of those skills in different ways. And so that was another kind of threshold for me of, okay, I don't think this works for me either. I think I need to, you know, start spreading the word about a different way of doing things. Okay. And did, and that felt rebellious probably. It did. (laughs) Um, So talk more about that. You know, it felt rebellious, hence rebel therapist. Yeah. So absolutely. So I was helping therapists to create private practices that were, you know, profitable, sustainable, and relatively traditional private practices where, you know, you come tell me your problems, pay me for a session and, you know, working with, you know, maybe between 10 and 30 folks every week, those kinds of private practices that we've all heard of and been clients in. And then after doing that for several years, and I did love doing that, but after doing that for a few years, I started seeing this theme where many of us were kind of busting at the seams of that business model and feeling like either because we really wanted to work in more creative ways, we wanted to work in ways that weren't strictly aligned with our therapy licenses, or for some folks, it was about feeling like even just doing one-on-one work wasn't quite the right fit or doing work only within their state lines wasn't the right fit. And so I just kept seeing all of these people like myself who were busting at the seams and feeling like I want a different model. And so at first, and this is the way I do everything and I recommend people do everything. I just started a really small experiment where I invited a few people to walk through a process with me of like, let's create your next thing that isn't private practice. And, you know, let's collaborate to figure out what that's going to be. And so I ran really small programs uh, a couple of times with just three people each time. And what they created was, was so interesting and fascinating and rewarding for them that then I kind of couldn't get enough. And so then that's the part of my business that I grew was let's take this beyond private practice. 
And then it was in a conversation with my friend, Karen Smiley, where I was telling her about my vision. And then she just kind of named it for me, like rebel therapist. It's, it's people like just embrace that this is a rebellion instead of apologizing for it. And so that was a really, I want to thank Karen for that. And that was a a great move to make because it kind of got me out of a conversation of, of kind of explaining what I was doing. And it started drawing people who were like, yeah, I want to rebel too. I want to do something different. So one, I know Karen Smiley. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, um, you know, I'm raising my hand. You know, I, yeah. I didn't even make it to licensure, you know. So yes. right early on, I was like, okay, I did all the internship hours. I did the 150-page thesis. I did my, you know, how many years of coursework and on and on and on. And then I was, and then I was like, oh, there's more hoops to jump through, um, you know. And I was like, nope, you know, and I was just owned it. I am clearly a rebel. I am a, ther- a rebel therapist. That's right. And, you know, I'm going to find something else, even though I have no idea what that is. So give us some examples of what therapists were creating. Yes. I love this. So one that has been so much fun that's recently happened is Krista Harrison created a retreat, which I think might be going on right now which is for queer healers and also deep allies of queer healers where, you know, it's the end of the pandemic. Well, I don't know if it's the end of the pandemic. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's now it's 2021 and there's an opportunity to step out and go to retreat. And so she invited these folks to go on a retreat and to heal together and to collaborate and, to step into what's next. And she's really building it into a business where she'll be running these retreats over time for queer, queer healers. And I just love that. So she's bringing all of her therapy skills to it and it's not therapy. It's something different. So it's like, you don't take the therapy or the healer out of the person when you change formats, we still have all of these skills And I think we're really doing this work to be, you know, leading and facilitating in so many different ways. So that's one example that I absolutely love. And another is someone who I work with who actually isn't a therapist. She's a minister and she's creating, she's created a coaching package where she helps engaged couples to look at the purpose of their wedding and look at their wedding as not just a ceremony, but as a threshold. Mm. And so she guides couples to make those experiences way more meaningful and aligned. And again, I just think we're the ones to be doing these different kinds of amazing things. Wonderful. So, you know, the sky's Mm -hmm. the limit, you know, the sky's the limit. It's Got it. You know, do you look at it as a combination of you can earn more, you know, by doing group programs or having packages? Um, you can charge differently. Um, you can be so much more creative. Yes. Say more about all of that. Like, 
Yeah. Some, some people are going to be happy with private practice in that container, right? That's right. And then the rebels, <laughs> who has that in them, you know, or something else calling out, or they want to make more money. Yeah. What I notice is that the people who are drawn to working with me, they want to make more money and they know that I am really pro making more money. So that's there. And they tend to not have that as their top goal. Mm -hmm. So yes. yeah, their top goal is usually something about, I think I'm meant to do something different. I think I have a spark that I'm not having for my private practice. I have a spark for doing something different and working in a new way and being a different kind of healer. So it's that spark that I think is everybody has who, who comes and works with me. And if I notice that someone really wants to step away from private practice only because they're burnt out, then I usually encourage them to find a way. I know it's not easy, but find a way to get some rest and to get some space because burnout is usually a pretty bad place to create from. And so if I hear someone saying, I just want to create passive income, I just can't stand, you know, being in the therapy room anymore. I know there's going to be a spark there and that they're going to find it, but I encourage them like, okay, just let's have you go on a retreat. Have you take some rest, find a way to give yourself some grace and then see where the spark shows up. And that's so important, you know, I, I'm doing private sessions again that are part financial therapy, right? Part coach, financial coaching, right? Um, and I'm noticing myself saying so much, mm. need to slow down. Like you, you, you know, your expectations of what you think you can do are not necessarily realistic or not necessarily sane or healthy for you being a single mom, you know, right mm -hmm. now, or I'm just noticing that there's so much of let's like, let's slow it down. And that the pauses and the rest are essential. And I know capitalism is thrown out a lot these days as a concept, and we're not really defining it, unraveling it, you know, but one of mm -hmm. the definitions I hear so much is you know, just, just that we feel we need to hustle, you know, mm -hmm. every day, <laughs> all days, um, and just go, 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 instead of taking the pause, taking the space, resting, rejuvenating. And that will look like, will, will look so different for all of us. So yes, absolutely. And helping people create something new um, you know, may see right away, oh, this person really needs a respite break, however they can take it, you know, however they can get that. So there's so many directions to go in. I have questions about how were you working with clients around money, you know, and their money issues and challenges and strengths and triumphs as you're teaching people, you know, how to create new creative offerings. Is it coming up there as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one place that the money stuff comes up right away is around pricing. And I know it's come up for me a ton around pricing. It's like how, once you're not in that 
not that it's easy to raise your, to, to set or raise your rates as a therapist, but it's really undefined when you step into creating a different kind of program. I mean, you know, this with your program, it's like, no one is telling you what you are supposed to charge. And so this is a place where people's anxiety really comes up. It's like, what should I charge for? You know, what I have people create first is just a pilot program, a really simple, transformative, high touch pilot program to get started with. And so much money, shame, money, scarcity, all of the money fears come up in that pricing. And one thing I, I encourage people to do there is to hold that decision lightly, that it actually doesn't have to be, it's not going to be the final price that they set and to give themselves some grace to, I mean, I've been trained in, you know, in your program to think about your body, to think about where different prices land in your body and to gather information that way. And to look at the first experiment that they're running in this new business as just a way to get more information and to keep moving forward. So yeah, it comes up from the very beginning. Okay. Why is it so important to have a really small test pilot? I, I'm totally with you. Mm-hmm. I, I did it with 10 people over and over. I love yeah. how you, you went to three people, you know, just, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. my authentic movement groups, I think were four and five mm-hmm. people, you know? And so I know that that's so important to you and you see so many other people starting fast and furiously with many groups and trying to get many people. One thing is that I see people trying to do it other ways. I see people trying to kind of build an empire. I really encourage people to start small and simple because you're going to learn so much about where the value is and what matters most by getting to work up close with a small group of people. And they're going to get a ton of value. <laughs> There's no doubt because they're going to get a lot of you. And you're also going to take a lot of the pressure off of yourself to be able to create a ton of curriculum when you don't yet know what that curriculum should be, to create a big complex process when you don't actually yet know what that process should look like. So starting really small and simple with a defined transformation that you're going to guide people through, that gives you the freedom to give them what you have to get them through that transformation and to get their feedback all along the way. So the first time you run a pilot, it will never be the same the second time because every time that you run this, you get more of a sense of, oh, here's where the magic was. Here were the true gems. And here were the places where people got confused or stalled out. So I know I need to give them more support there. And you can co-create it together if it's small and if it's nimble. Whereas if you go behind the scenes, and I've seen people do this, where they go behind the scenes and they try to create something really robust and fancy the first time around, it 
pretty much always falls flat because they haven't gotten that feedback yet. They don't know yet what was needed and what wasn't needed. So I really encourage folks to just, you know, be there with their participants the first time, hold hands with them, walk them through it. And that's another reason why it's not good to start this from burnout. (laughs) Because if you're wanting to get away from your clients, it's probably not the moment to create something for them. It is going to be like, you've got to love your clients and be in it with them the first time. It can be simple and it can be really fun, but in, you know, in my opinion, you really have to be there with them the first time. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love your story of that. That's how, and I use you as an example of like, yeah, like I know it looks like, oh, she's got this whole program because you do. And like you got there by starting up close. Baby step, baby step, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. 10 people in my living room in an mm-hmm. apple orchard, you know, in, in Northern California, you know, where people drove through the apple orchard and there were old tractors and rusty this and that. And then they got at my little old teeny shack house you know, in my living room and just yeah. did it over and over and over. But I, you know, I, I think it's somewhat of a personality thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to start small like that and go slow. And that's how I built confidence or connected more, cultivated more value and self-worth, you know, around my work, you know, it's just really getting in there and everything you're saying, what worked, what didn't, where's the magic? What did I forget Mm -hmm. to add? What Mm -hmm. did I add in? I used to have people talk about their money history on night one. And I was like, whoa, that is way too early. You know, people mm. need some tools to check in with their body. And, you know, um, before we just like first night, talk about your money history and story and tell everyone, you know, I had to, I had to slow it down. So yes, yeah, so much was learned by that, you know, that, that, and it, yeah, and it seems like a slow process. And then how many years later, then it's a bigger thing, you know, and, and yes, but it's, it takes years and years and years. So talk to me about your work in marginalized communities. I think one thing that I see happening for folks I work with in marginalized communities is a feeling of, I've got to throw more into this offer. I have to prove myself. And it's really scary to keep things simple when you know that folks are looking at you and, and thinking like, well, does she belong here? Do they belong here? And so I see that coming up for everybody and particularly for folks in marginalized communities, this feeling of, I don't know if I'm going to be seen as enough. So what else can I throw in here? And often I don't think we should throw more in. I think we need to keep things simple and that the value is in often like how much we're willing to curate these experiences for people and to show them what they don't have to do and help them like get through a more manageable amount of exercises and experiences and skills and all of that. Mm-hmm. So be mindful of all the extra bonuses or the extra free time or 
whatever the extra, extra, extra is. Yeah. And actually I kind of like bonuses because if you're, if you're giving something as a bonus, then it's clear that it's kind of optional. (laughs) They don't have to do it, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, just making an experience too complex and definitely what you just said about throwing in more of your own time of feeling like, okay, well, if I make this, you know, have calls that come with it, then I'll double how many calls come with it. Then I'll feel like I can charge enough, you know, and I, and I've encouraged people to pull back a little bit and, you know, sometimes not offer that next thing that they're tempted to offer. Another thing I see for folks in marginalized groups is feeling like it's harder to find your entrepreneurial safe home. It's harder to find other entrepreneurs that you feel like you can really be vulnerable with and show those times when you're feeling scared or show those times when you're feeling really unsure or competitive or whatever, all of the stuff that comes up for us as entrepreneurs, it, it can feel scarier to share that stuff and worry that it's going to get used against you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is most of your community, queer community, women of color, Tell me, tell me, I don't want to box anything in. And I know yeah. re- no, I would rebel, say all rebel, all rebel <laughs> I would say all rebel all the time, but <laughs> I tend to definitely get a lot of white women. Um, and I also, you know, and definitely some folks of color and a lot of queer folks, I would say. Yeah. So I think like rebel therapist has, I think queer and um, LGBTQIA plus folks tend to feel pretty safe, probably because of my identity. And then I think we definitely have work to do around helping BIPOC folks feel safe in the community as well. Tell, tell us about your, just anything else you want to share about your love for entrepreneurship and the work that you're doing right now. I think one reason I love entrepreneurship so much is the freedom that it allows me personally, like getting to work with people from all over the world is amazing. Getting to set my own hours and to show up as myself, all of that feels so amazing. And I also, I feel like micro businesses are part of the solution. Like I know capitalism sucks in so many ways, but the part of capitalism that I think is the most damaging is the concentration of wealth and like that uber concentration of wealth that happens is where I think the most harm comes to people and to the planet. And I think micro businesses are a really important part of how things can get better is, you know, micro business owners who I think often tend to be very ethical for our businesses to thrive. So I love supporting people in creating these small really high quality businesses. And so I think of that as part of what's going to make, it's going to get us through this and is going to, you know, heal the earth as well. 
So it's a solution to everyone so. saying, I hate capitalism and then saying, what's the, what's the solution? Mm-hmm. You know? So not like I just hate capitalism, which you talked about in other ways at the beginning, like we, we hate business or we hate marketing or we shouldn't talk, you know, okay, well, what are, what are solutions to this? Mm-hmm. So for you, it's micro businesses. Yeah. And I know that's not the whole solution that we definitely need to take care of each other outside of business too. And I'm, I'm coming to feel more and more like, no, this is part of the solution. Like the decisions that we can make in our businesses to share our wealth, to pay people well, to choose vendors who are also really ethical, that, you know, we can take responsibility in some really transformative ways. Okay. So let's complete with a little bit of you sharing more of your own money journey. Okay. And, you know, as a therapist and just what have been challenges for you? You've named a few and, um, you know, what has shifted and also, you know, what are you currently working on? What's your money edge? Cause you know, it's a lifetime journey figuring this, not figuring it out, but just fine tuning, updating, you know, One thing that comes to mind is the first time I was a business owner, it was a restaurant and I was co-owning a restaurant in my twenties with a couple of friends and I was in my mid twenties and I was a boss. And I think in a lot of ways, I wasn't ready for it. Could have been worse and it was a lot of fun, but it was, it was a bit of a mess. And this time, as my business is growing, and I've like in the last couple of months, I've had twice as many people contacting me for services. Like things are in this real growth moment. So this time around, I'm hitting up against an edge of deserving and also. Like, do I have, I have the systems capacity, but like, do I have the emotional capacity to double my business right now? And what I'm, what I'm finding I'm, I'm doing is like talking to my ancestors about this and, you know, I'm white. My ancestors have done harm in creating wealth in the past. Okay. And Some of that I can know about, a lot of that would be hard to specifically learn about my own family, but I can know that. And in having conversations with my ancestors, which some folks would think of as like imaginary conversations, either way, they're very helpful. And what I'm hearing from them is like, yeah, you you are in the right spot to be growing and growing ethically and sharing the wealth and like, yes, please do this. We're not here to do this. We want you to do this and we want you to do it in the right way. So it's, yeah, it's been a really profound journey to be hitting up against Mm -hmm. a new threshold. And what is your ancestry? You, You said white and where's your family from? So they're, they're all from Europe and um, a lot from England, Ireland, Germany, France. 
right. a lot of those places. Yeah. So Annie, share with us um, where folks can find you and also share one or two programs that you're offering right now or how folks can work with you. Okay. Yeah. So you can find me at rebeltherapist.me and my podcast where you can find my interview with Barry is at Rebel Therapist Podcast. Um, and I, you know, I still like to keep things really simple. So I have two programs. One of them is called Create Your Program. And that's where run a pilot. And so I help you decide what your niche is going to be, how your pilot is going to work. And we work together over five weeks to go from basically zero or wherever you're at to having a pilot that you can share. That's one of my programs. And the other is a mastermind. And so that's for folks who are already really swimming in that water and are looking for some other badass entrepreneurs to grow with. Wonderful. I love that you just have two programs that yeah. oh, that's, that totally speaks to me yeah. so much. And congratulations on 20 years of having a private practice and saying goodbye and letting it go, you know, to move on um, to this new chapter in your work, in your life. And I love it. And I love the work that you're doing. And I love your podcast. So I want everyone to go and listen to your podcast. You do so much, inter you do so many interviews with amazing folks over there. Um, so everyone, please go listen to that. And then anyone who, you know, is a therapist or just in related healing fields that, um, you know, is a rebel at heart and wants to, you know, has some creative thing inside of them that they know is in there and that they would love to get some support um, to, you know, to draw out of them. Annie, thank mm -hmm. you so much for being with us today. And I know there's so much more, but I think that's a good little taste of who you are and what you love and what's important to you and what you're bringing to the world. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping me so much with my money journey. I just appreciate you in the world so much. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.